My name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Once again, Graham Pullen is the Chief Investigating Officer here, having driven from his native Hampshire to Devon to grab himself some of the superb very early place fishing they enjoy in these parts, often with the feel of winter having barely gone away. Never a man to waste an opportunity, which is always good news for audio angling, he also managed to get Anglo Dawn 3 skipper Chris Roberts in front of the microphone for a grilling on the inshore, offshore and sheltered estuary prospects, with potentially enough good fish at all three locations to keep even the more seasoned boat angler happy. OK, well I'm here down in uh, deepest Devon in Sulcombe with Chris Roberts. Um, he runs the Anglo Dawn 3. It's a brand new boat. His first boat was actually a lock-in, which was Ted Cook's old boat, who was a very famous Sorkham's skipper, and he's changed over to a 30 about two years ago. So Chris, tell us why you make the change to that boat and, and give us a little bit about the specifications on it. One of my main reasons for changing the boat was partly because of the age of the lock-in, but I also wanted to try and provide um, a better service really for my anglers, a lot more space on the, on the bigger boat, a few more creature comforts, we've got microwave, um, a good kettle, stuff like that. A lot more space, a lot more space to put fish, uh, you know, good storage for the fish. So we're kind of, just a lot of reasons really. I, ne- I needed to update stuff like my electronics, you know, to the way things are going now. So a lot of reasons really, it was either that or I just totally gutted the old boat and started again. What sort of fuel range? I mean, those, those uh, new evolutions, I know there's some on the South Wales coast. And they're popular there. The guys uh, seem to gun them right out past Milford Haven. And I know uh, one of the skippers actually ran across to uh, what I consider my shark grounds last week. Uh, didn't catch anything, but he's running one and he's absolutely delighted with it. Are they uh, pretty economical to run? Yeah, they're superb. I've saved a, a, a massive amount of fuel a year in comparison to the lock-in. We hold just under 1,200 litres of fuel. Um, we can be... I can get... So a good three three wrecking trips in before I've got to think about fueling up again. Sometimes if I'm a little bit closer in, I can do four, and that's sort of 25, 30 mile out, and sometimes a bit further. Uh, now, saw so out in the harbour, you've uh, literally just come back off a trip. I know uh, you're going to be out tomorrow wrecking for the lean. I saw a, a sort of large, uh, well, it's not a cargo, but it's got fuel on it. What was that fuel boat there for? Yeah, that's um, that's for us. We that's where we fuel up. I have actually got a uh, a fuel bond on the fish key as well. So if I'm you know if I if I need to get away early or something and I need to take on a bit of fuel, we we get fuel delivered there also. But most of it we get off of the fuel bond in Salcombe. Um, but the prices are getting a bit silly at the minute. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. I mean, uh, I have heard one of the other skippers. He went from a a twin engine boat to a single because he said he could afford to actually reduces prices you know i think it's frank shaw down in new haven uh, was saying that he can he's, he's so economical now he has to look at you know maybe easing back a touch on the fuel or on the throttle and, and he's saving money on fuel which enables him to pass that cost on to the uh, anglers is reasonable rather than hitting them up too much so how are you finding things uh, generally for anglers yeah well I'm, I'm finding it better simply because i've got a more economical engine but yet we're going faster <laughs> Yeah, we're probably cruising around at 15, 16 knots quite comfortably all day long, whereas the old boat was probably 13, 13 and a half, something like that. But yeah, I'm not burning so much fuel, so the, the maths there is quite nice, really. 
What about boat handling characteristics on that? You know, are they are they good with sort of beamy seas? I mean, I've got one of those Wilson flyers, and it's just uh, I love it to death, but it pounds you to death in a head sea. And I know they got that sort of similar hole shape to them, those evolutions. What are they like? Is there any good seas and bad seas with them? They are very very comfy. A very dry boat. The locking was was pretty wet at times, but these these boats are very dry, superb in the following sea. You can punch into a into a bit of sea and and you know not get particularly wet, which is quite nice. So yeah, I, I can't fault it there at all, really. What about uh, electronics? Um, I understand you've got some Garmin stuff. Just run us down on uh, you know what electronics and gadgets you got on there, fish finding equipment, radios and stuff like that. Yeah, I've got the uh, all the Garmin gear. I've got the big the flat screen four double oh five. And I've got the sounder module onto that one. I've got a one kilowatt transducer that goes into that one. So that gives um, very, very good detail. Um, I'm very pleased with that. Um, I've also got that wired into a switch so I can just t turn the switch off, which turns the sounder off because I do feel quite often when we're bassing, stuff like that. I don't like the sounder on because I do feel sometimes it speaks of fish. So I, I've got that wired to a switch and that seems to be working quite well. Um, I've also got a smaller, a smaller Garmin unit that I use just simply as my chart plotter, which is very good for um, uh, drifting the wrecks and stuff, which I've got all my wrecks plotted out on there. I've got a, so obviously um, the bigger unit is wired into my autopilot, which is, um, it again, saves on fuel over a period of a year, rather than you steering, it does uh, tend, to, tend to keep you on a better, better line got you know, VHF radios, CD player, <laughs> think about getting the telly as well to keep watch the rugby on the way in. <laughs> so, um, so yes, uh, pretty good really. And I understand that you were a fan of rugby and actually a participant. Yeah, I was uh, once upon a time. I got a rugby scholarship to Australia, so I was over there playing for a few years and then I got, I played for county level at every age group over here, um, south west of England. Final. I got in, got through to the um, final 54 of the England squad at Colts and yeah. 21s, but buggered up my leg. I tore the crucial ligament in my knee um, playing for playing for Albion because I got paid for playing rugby, um, which was uh, quite nice. And I've just had surgery on my shoulder. I've had my shoulder open again for the fourth time, and I've got a few screws and a nut and bolt in that now so I've had to ru knock rugby on the head well I've got a few screws and nuts and bolts but they're all loose I'm afraid Chris <laughs> so with the shoulder was that done from rugby was that, was that a rugby injury yeah that was everyone says how much they like to uh, score tries but I did it in a, a crunching tackle superb tackle good dump tackle but yeah pay the consequences for it afterwards <laughs> well at least you can steer the boat that's the main thing now, what's your actual history down here? You know, how did you get into fishing? Uh, was it family members, or did you work for other people? And you know, actually, when did you start charting? I lived here all my life. I was born here. My dad has always been a very keen angler himself. He took me fishing when I was about two and a half, something like that, three. And I caught a dogfish. Apparently, I don't remember it, but and then it just went from there. Really, it was is what Dad and I did. If we if we went out, yeah, with rugby because my dad played rugby. Then we were, we were out, out on the boat and it kind of went from there. I then got a job with Ted, um, Ted Cook, um, going across the Channel Islands when I was a, 
about 18, 19, 20, something like that, before I went to Australia on my scholarship. And then I worked on a fishing boat out of season in Australia, so I was doing that over there. And I really, really, I just knew that it was what I wanted to do. I knew from the word go, but there was always one problem, and that was money. So I took myself off to college. I'm a brickie by trade. I managed to save some money, and once the bank could see that I had you know, quite a comfortable income coming in, they were then happy to lend some money with the help of my dad. And uh, that's that's where we went, really. I, I then managed to get the money together to buy the first boat, um, Anglo Dawn 2. Then after the bank could see sort of you know, how I was getting on, I had that boat for six and a half years and then bought the new boat after that. Did you uh, ever get into commercialing at all? Yeah, I worked on the crabbers, probably on and off, probably three years or so, working the you know, crabbing. I've got a little boat that I do scalloping and stuff up um, in the estuary in the winter months um, in Sulcombe here, um, just to keep things ticking over. Um, also, I've got yeah, a lot of friends at work on the commercial boats, mainly crabbers, really. From the mention of scallops you've got there, I know... Uh, when I interviewed Frank Finnegan, he's an old-time commercial and rod and line man down in Falmouth. He does oysters. Do they uh, do dredging for oysters up here in the Salcombe Estuary? You do get a few when um, when we're scalloping, but it is only a few, and they're not particularly big either. But yeah, we're, the scallops the scallops are quite good. You know, you can end up with. I think my best day this year was thirty-six dozen. So. You know, it's, um, yeah, we did quite well, really, and keep the scallop skirts because they're good bait for for the place. <laughs> oh, really? That's one tip. That's one we know. When you went out, I just mentioned this because it's all over TV now uh, about uh, the commercialing with the Aussies going out there. It was pretty tough sort of fishing. What was it you did out there when you were commercialing out there? We were working over the continental shelf, so we were about 100, 110 mile out over just, like, over the barrier reef, um, so on the deeper part of the barrier reef, and fishing around the barrier reef for stuff like Morgan's Cod. Um, we had Morgan's Cod, we had Red Emperor was the main thing that we was targeting. That averaged probably 30, 40 pound a piece. We did get a lot of shark. They fish for shark because they have the fins for shark fin soup. And they also, some sharks they use it over there, they call it flake. And that's what they use in the fish and chip shops over there. So we had a bit of that as well. So but, um, that was all. That was all drop lining, yeah, either rod or line, or um, yeah, just reels bolted onto the gunnel of the boat. Oh, I see. Really, really. So, so it's like commercialing, but rod and line commercialing. Yeah, yeah. Now down to uh, this Salcombe area, got a fabulous, beautiful, pristine type of area you've got down here up in that estuary. I've been uh, doing a lot of video work up there today because the sun's been out. It's been brilliant. So tell us a bit about the area. You know what what species and what time of year you start fishing. I mean. Up around my way, which will be sort of Solent way, I guess, is uh, is cod time, December, January. But what's it like early in the year down here in Devon? Yeah, we're pretty lucky, really. We've got a huge variety of fish, and there's always something going on, in, you know, in one month or the other. Um, say if we started in January, obviously prime pollocking time for us. Um, that's when, you, if you're ever going to get a big one, Probably 80% of the time, that's when it's going to be, January, February, March time. Um, had another good year on it this year. Some cracking fish been caught. 
What sort of size would they be? When you... um, uh, my uh, friend of mine actually had one, not on my boat, um, but he, he did have one which I think weighed 25, 12, I think it was or something. He's a very good friend of mine. But um, we've had quite a few sort of 18s, 20s. We had them up to 23 last year. Um, so good, yeah, good, good fish and quite plentiful as well, which is nice. I assume you just use uh, uh, lures. Is there any particular lures you use, and do you use a regular uh, flying collar rig and how long a trace, stuff like that? Any any special tips you can give people? Yeah, one thing I have found this year, we've I've had some guys out with me that fish with me quite regularly, um, fishing clubs and stuff. Um, some of them are only turning up with say six, booking the boat for six of them, but they are using long, long traces. Um, and we found that's worked very well on the sidewinders and these new evolution lures. We've probably been using 20, 25 foot traces at times, and that has really, really produced. You've got to have your wits about you a bit because obviously, um, you know, it stands a bit of a better chance of getting in the wreck, but it also does um, produce some, some nice fish. So I would, uh, I would advise some people to try that really. So Chris, I've uh, tried it a couple of times myself with no real great success, but is there any way of fishing more than one regular or one sidewinder, you know, fishing a pair of lures either in tandem behind each other or what we call a pose when we go marlin fishing side by side on a spreader bar. Has anybody tried it or have you tried fishing more than one? Yeah, we've got guys um, that do try that and it can work very, very well. What we do is um, run quite a, long, quite a big boom into a three-way swivel and then have a you know, good length of trace from the three-way swivel down to your weighted sidewinder, you know, so you've got a, a sidewinder there. And then we use a smaller, obviously much shorter trace going off the three-way swivel to uh, a jelly worm or uh, just an ordinary red gill or something like that or anything that's not weighted really, and that can work very, very well. So I assume that's because the sidewinder with the weight in it is going to swim up deeper and the jelly worm's going to be over the top of it and they're not going to tangle? Yeah, that's it. That's, um, that's, the one that's weighted is keeping it away. And not only that, we think that perhaps uh, going through the water, it might look like the, uh, the sidewinder is perhaps chasing it. So um, that can quite often attract the fish, perhaps when they're being a bit finicky. We, we often try that and, and that can work well. Oh, certainly a good tip, and I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to experiment on that one as well myself. That's worth trying. Now, tell us about the outside of the fishing. What sort of uh, um, species are you going to get through the year? Run us through the year, say, from about springtime, April, March, April time, right through to October, which is peak time for, I guess, your anglers chartering. Yeah, well, now, middle of March onwards, going into April, May, we're, we're spending a lot of time up on the skerries. That'll be fishing well through, you know, into... June, it goes all the way through the summer really, but that's when you get the majority of the bookings up there and then through the rest of the year you're you're doing quite well and then it really picks up again sort of late August, September going into October. So we, we do spend a lot of time out there. Um, coming into May, sort of middle of May, you then start getting out on the wrecks, that's when we start getting our cod, our big cod, May and June is an awesome month for them. Um, that's uh, that's prime cod time really. Now we're getting some cracking ling. We had our biggest ling um, last year, middle of I know end of March it was. That was 33.3. Um, lovely fish. 
we did also have quite a few top 20s which was quite nice so now is the time for them as well you know april going into may uh, out on the skerries if i guess the angler's going to start there say in the spring place turbot brill i know you get pretty well everything down there uh, give us an idea on some of the rigs and also is there anything different because angler's always asking me how do you get your turbot i said don't know i think i've had about two small ones so i'm not the one to ask but give us a few tips on each of those species of flatfish for the place i mean we were up there yesterday we use a, a two hook rig you know one quite close to the lead because we use the watch leads as that's dragging through the water that does tend to kick a bit of sand up they then see the see the bait quite close to the the weight there so quite often you get them there and then we have another another hook about probably six foot from that one five six foot from that one with we tend to use just beads there i do have anglers that use spoons as well they do well I've got one particular guy that always uses a spoon. He uses a spoon with probably a foot of line behind the spoon, loads of beads, um, and he does very, very well. He's a good angler up there. do tend to have the, the black and green beads always seem to be quite good, and also the yellow and orange do do very well also. What sort of bait are you using? I guess you're using rag or squid, or do you use a combination of both? Combination baits, definitely. We're using rag, squid, prawn is yeah, a must up there, that does very well. Um, people have been using this garlic prawn thing, which uh, <laughs> is a new one. Yeah, that does seem to work. Peeler crab, very good, and lugworm is a very good bait up there. We also use razor fish, scallop skirts are very good. Quite often just cut the underside or the belly of the mackerel. Yeah. and cut that out cut thin strips of that which works well um, strips of sand eel that works very well what about for uh, say brill and turbot they're the two uh, hierarchy ones that most anglers uh, will act as a prize possession for them what's your tips on those yeah well we had uh, I think we had three or four little turbot up there last year uh, admittedly it's not a massive amount but uh, we don't tend to get a huge amount up there now these days but I think there's a bit of a comeback on them, so touch wood and see how it goes. But we tend to use a nice fillet of mackerel. Make sure we cut the uh, the, the bottom of the mackerel out where these where stomach lines, so it's a nice flat bit, so it's flapping around on the bottom as opposed to spinning. And then quite often we we do that, just hook it hook it through the hook the once, and then get a, a strip of sand eel and hook that through as well. Um, that's a very good bait for the brill and the turbot. Do you get any bass on the uh, on the skerries? Yeah, you get the bass that's certainly down towards uh, start point area on on those banks there on the start race and stuff. Um, that's very good, very good for the bass. More towards when you're going into July or uh, August, September time. What techniques for those? Uh, you know, bait and tackle. How do you fish for those? Uh, live sandhill does tend to be the best best bait really up that neck of the woods a nice long trace sort of 12 14 foot something like that on the start race we literally just use as small a lead as we can to um you know to drop it uh, to get us to the bottom really and that's it it's not particularly deep there so you can use a nice light lead what about uh, hook size and uh, leaders do you use fluorocarbon or, or what's your favorite sort of leader make or not even really make really you know is there anything you've got to specialize you think makes a difference for the bass 
Bass is something I, I do enjoy doing a lot. We do use a good fluorocarbon, good clear line. Probably about £15, something like that. So that, that does work very well. I do tend to... I mean, some people come on the boat sometimes and they've got coloured line and stuff like that. And I just do think it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's you've got to use clear line, really. Yeah, I know I've got... Uh, I get some coloured stuff. And it's all right for trolling or maybe shark fishing, but... Uh, for anything else like bass, you know, you just don't feel right using it. Now, as well as the sandbanks you've got, there's obviously plenty of rock marks and reef marks around here. Just tell us about some of the, uh, perhaps the names of the local rock marks where they can go congering, what species you're going to get when you anchor over the reef, and, you know, what your terminal gear and baits are. We've got a good bit of reef slightly down to the to the west of us. Very, very rocky ground. You get all sorts on there. We've had some we've had black bream to £5 off of there. You get good cod, pollock, ling. We've had some, you know, ling to over £20 down there. There is literally a case you get some nice ray. We've had turbot down there. Um, it, you, you can have anything. It does fish very well. We quite often use the Portland rigs down there, especially for the, especially for the, um, for the bass um, on the bigger tides. We use the Portlands. And what's the, explain that to me, the Portlands. What's Port, that Portland rig basically just um, a swivel at the top with a bead, another swivel in your line, and then a bead and a swivel. So that it's basically running up and down a short, short trace of line about a foot long, and then you tie your your main line that's going to your bit of live bait or your sidewinder or something. You can tie that um, to uh, probably say. 12, 14 foot or so, something like that, and it just basically spins around your lead, so it very, very, it doesn't very often get tangled, and that works very well. It sounds like one, I think it was Neil French, one of the skippers, he had something called a helicopter rig, which he did explain to me, I wasn't quite sure, I could sort of see it working, but so it doesn't tangle, I think that was, uh, definitely it was for bassin, and it was um, a similar situation whereby the, it was free swimming, it didn't tangle, and you could, you could move all around in a different area which he rated for bass, and also I think uh, a couple of the other skippers we've done these podcasts, they both think about switching the sound off, you know, in the shallow water, they've, they've got the feeling it might, uh, it might mess the fishing up. So what sort of species would you get over these uh, reef marks, you know, the, uh, and the size of fish like congers and bullhuss and stuff? We get congers, do get a few bullhuss, not, can't say we've had a massive amount up there, but... Um, you get you get the ling, the cod, the pollock, yeah, all that. We get we've had some cracking days on the bass. The bass you get down there tend to be the bigger fish. You won't get much under sort of four pound really. It's all sort of four four to eight pounds sort of stuff. Three you well know, three and a half to eight pounds something like that. We did have them um, just just under ten last year up there, which is quite nice. And our biggest bass was twelve one, I think it was. Yeah, big fish, yeah, big fish, yeah. quite 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 good. Also, I've heard about uh, from a, a small boat angler with a dinghy. He says really good blonde ray fishing here and small eyes. So, what's that about? Yeah, we're uh, we're very very lucky here. Really, we've got a we've got some big banks, literally a mile and a half off of Sulcombe. Um We call them the whiting banks to the locals here, but they hold some ginormous blondes. Um, you get small eyes, you get you know, thornies, you get all sorts. We are very lucky there. It's a, a cracking area to fish, really, but uh, there is also some marks literally just off of the back of um, back of Sulcombe, really. Um, you can anchor up, you know, especially if you've got a small boat, in probably 50 foot of water, 
and you can get some cracking you know, ray fishing. You also got a chance of some uh, some of the place and stuff also. What sort of baits are those for the blondes and the small lights? We tend to use um, sand eel and um, mackerel really, and for the uh, for the thornies we always use prawn. Try and get live prawn for them. Yeah, that works very well. When I was uh, down doing some video in, I noticed I could actually see the skerries. I think it was a place called Bee Sands where I was uh, filming down there. It's so flat I could actually see the tide race, and obviously I could see a bunch of boats, little white dots. So I guess that's what it was. But uh, when I was driving around up on the hillsides, you could actually off the headland see the tide races. What's the tide strength like down here, and what sort of leads are you talking about, and depths? Yeah, well, the Scaries is uh, a pretty pretty shallow area, really. As long as the wind's not blowing too much, you'll get away. We were fishing up there yesterday with three ounces of lead all day, uh, which was holding bottom perfectly. Um, sometimes you have to go to five or six if there's a bit of if you've got a bigger tide and the wind's blowing. But on a big spring tide here, really, we'd probably be up around two and a half knots, something like that. Um, on the smaller, you know, smaller tides, sometimes you'll struggle to get past a knot, you know, which can be a bit frustrating from my point of view. But we we do have uh, you know quite big tides, and and that does help our fishing, especially you know for the bass. Uh, moving offshore from the reefs, we've done the sandbanks, we've done the uh, rock marks, which obviously is plenty of reef marks. If anybody's got a small boat, they want to trail down here and, and take out. Uh, what about the wrecks? Are they are they sort of fished out inshore or is there still some good fishing? I say that because if guys come down in a small dinghy, they want to go out, they might do, I don't know, 10 miles. Is it worth fishing up to 10 miles? I assume most of your best wrecks are going to be further than that, but is it totally fished out down this end? No, I wouldn't say it was. I'm 34 years old, 33 years old, and I, you know, I do a job I love and I'm, I hope I'm doing it for years to come and the way the fishing's been i mean we've got wrecks we've got a line of three wrecks that are off of sulcombe about four miles off of sulcombe and you can pretty much guarantee you'll catch cod on them in june and that's quite a nice thing really for for guys that have got a small boat and they want to get out in, in amongst it we've also got a couple of wrecks that are about 12 mile off one of them is a very big wreck and this year, that was some for some part of the year on the Pollockin, that was as far as we had to go because there was a nice bit of fish on it. Not last year, but the year before, it was amazing out there. We were just, I think the furthest we went was about 15 or 18 miles simply because we didn't have to go any further, you know, so the guys had more time fishing. What do those cod go to? I wasn't aware you got that many cod down there, so I'm sort of surprised at that. Tell us sort of, you know, on the numbers on an average day and what your biggest fish might be. Well, I would say last year was probably our best year on the cod, and I think it's fantastic that a lot of cods get input back. Yeah, when we're on the reef and stuff, it's nice to see there is a bit of protection with the cod now. But we were—I think my our biggest cod last year was 23, or just over 23, 23 I think it was. But we did have a lot sort of between 18 and. 23 you know we, we had some cracking fish numbers wise we were probably 20 30 plus a day at times you know very yeah, you know, yeah it was very very good you know it was um and even on a bad day we was probably still you know 15 or so you know with um, not bad size also i guess you got some pollocking mixed in there as well you know oh uh, yeah yeah, yeah do, you, do you get any cold fish out here we've had five this year so far yes um biggest has 
been about 12 this year and we had our biggest last year was 16 17 something yeah, like that like nice, fish, yeah. nice fish and our biggest that we've had the whole time i've been fishing was 21 and um, that was caught on the old boat what about you mentioned the black bream do you ever see any i never catch the damn things now but um what's happened to the red bream are they about now or do you think they, they just disappear totally well, we've had one, so that tells you that. Unfortunately, the one thing we don't get a great deal of down here is black bream. We, we have had a few, but it's it's not like you, how they get it up the, up the line a little bit. They do t- seem to be a bit plentiful up there, but we struggle a bit here, unfortunately. Offshore, yeah, I know um, on your website you do shark fishing. Run us through the shark fishing. When does that sort of start? And and how you fish for them, etc., and what sort of fish you'd expect to catch. I know they're going to be blue sharks, but, you know, have you ever had any other unusual uh, occurrences out there? <laughs> yeah, shark fishing, where do you start? Um, I've done a lot of that in Australia, actually, so it's um, something that I do, yeah, I do enjoy. Um, we fish with them, obviously, with the balloons to keep the traces up. Quite thick traces, 250 pounds, I suppose, something like that. We have got a few wire traces as well, but I'm not a massive fan of that. You know, using using either sometimes we use live bait, sometimes we use you know just hold back raw, or sometimes the flapper works quite well. But we do tend to have to change them more often to keep the scent going. We've had had a had a bass last year <laughs> whilst we were yeah. whilst we were fishing for a shark. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. That was. Just over ten pound, I think, as well. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. it just um, things went. It wasn't going like a normal shark was, and then we brought it to the side of the boat, and there it was. It was. Uh, I wasn't expecting that one. But. Have you seen anything threshers pull beagles down here? Because I don't know Brixham. They used to get them in the nets. Uh, commercial caught threshers now and then. Have you uh, seen anything unusual out there? Yeah, um, a thresher. Only one, and that was I think three years ago now. Not caught any though, and um, we've only had blues. But we do do, yeah, we probably average two or three a day, I would have thought. We do do okay. Some days we have had more, and I think we've only blanked on one occasion, I think. So it's not, no, not too bad, quite, quite good. How far off do you run to get the blues? Is anybody going to get there in a small boat, or do you have to, you know, go a long way? No, we're normally probably uh, 12, 14, 18 miles, something like that. Obviously, you have got to watch the weather a little bit if you were in a small boat. But, um, yes, uh, it's you know, not too bad. We tend to try and fish around, the, uh, uh, perhaps if there's a nucleus of wrecks somewhere. So that could be a, a bit of a food source for the sharks then. Now, that's pretty well covered the offshore, Chris. Obviously, you've got loads of fishing out there, loads of sport, and uh, access to everything from sandbanks to reefs and sharks to wreck fishing. But just before we go inside to the uh, Sorghum Estuary, I heard you talking to somebody saying that you've been doing some really good ling. Uh, are they on the same wrecks as cod are, or, or how do you fish for them? And do you anchor, or is it drifting? You know, it sounds like maybe you're drifting a lot. Do you not do much anchoring out on the wrecks? We do anchor. I don't get a great deal of guys that particularly want to anchor, partly because they're going to ca- they're, they're probably catch conga, and uh, a lot of guys aren't particularly bothered about conga. You know, they want to get food for the table. And that's fair enough, I understand that. I mean, the conga do fight very, very hard. They are good fun to catch. I did have a diver say once that they did see a lot of you know, 
you know, dead con go back around the wreck, which I do think is a bit of a shame. Dead you know, yeah. yeah. And from what reason would that be, you think? Just after it had been fished and they had been put back, but they're oh, sort okay. of around the wreck dead, which I do think is a bit of a shame, really. So we don't get a great deal of people that want to anchor like that. The, the anchoring we tend to do more of is for the ray, um, or sometimes for the bass when we're float fishing for the bass. But ling-wise, I've found personally we, we catch more and we do do a lot better if we're on slack water or the smaller tides and just very, very gently drifting over the wreck, bouncing live mackerel works very well, or mackerel flappers, you know, fresh mackerel, it needs to be fresh really, and just bouncing them over the wreck or down the side of the wreck. Quite often we try and drift down the side. If the wind's going in the right direction for us, we can do the side of some of, some of my favourite sort of ling wrecks really. And, um, and that does work very, very well. You know, we've, we've had some real good hits of them. What do you fish? Do you fish a, a straight running ledger with a short trace, or do you fish like a paternoster so the bait's off the bottom for the ling? No, we use uh, keep it as simple as possible. Try and run it off of a, a boom, small boom, or sometimes the zip sliders. We, we use them quite a bit. Short trace, no longer than a metre. You need good 100 pound plus line really because they've got such sharp teeth and then you know a good probably 8 or sometimes 10 hook you know don't don't be shy because they've got such big mouths and you're using big baits and and just literally drop it down stay in contact with it just gently you know, gently bouncing it over the wreck or or over the you know down the side of the wreck there keeping contact with it and you know if, if they're there and feeding they're you know they're engulf it they go for it and you game on and you've got a hell of a fight and uh, yeah they are very good fish um. I imagine you've had uh, more than one hooked up at the same time <laughs> yeah you could say that yeah we're we've we've got a I've got a wreck this was I don't know 30 about 34 miles from Sulcombe it's um very 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 broken up but it's a very productive wreck at times and we were out there a bit like a day-to-day -day, really very very yeah, very little wind very calm and we yeah, we had 54 over slack water, which was which was good fun. Kept my anglers happy. And then we um, once the tide picked up again, we were back onto the pollock and the cod. So yeah, it was a very good day. It sounds like an excellent day. Now back up in shore is uh, Sulcombe Estuary. I imagine if you've been born here, you must have fished up there. I mean, how do you rate it? Is it as good as they say it is? I think it's better. I had my first little boat when I was about 12. Saved up my pocket money because I did a paper round, and I bought a little boat that my granddad helped me do up, <laughs> which is very kind of him. Dear of him, he's not here anymore. And um, my dad helped me get a um, little four horsepower engine, and I just fished. I fished the estuary all the time. I weren't allowed to go over the bar because dad wouldn't let me go over there. But I used to do all the inshore stuff. I had um, some cracking place. My biggest place was I had one six five and a oh. half. Wish you hadn't told me. <laughs> and I had another one, five fourteen. Hell. Two weeks apart yeah. from each other. That was that was September. One was caught on ragworm and one was caught on lugworm and crab. That was sort of opposite the Egremont, you know, round heading sort of towards Kingsbridge Road. And back then, did you, did, you know, were they all, all into like you know flashes and spoons and beads, or was they just straight bait? The big one I caught was on a on a baited spoon which was, we always used to, me and a, a mate of mine, we always used to quite often use them up the estuary. That little bit of something extra really for yeah. you know, estuary fishing. And the other one was caught on just beads. 
So, uh, but we had, yeah, we had a lot of sort of three pounders and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I know it's famous for the gilt head. Were they around the gilt head bream? Were they there when you were a nipper out there fishing, or is that something pretty new that's come in? Yeah, I didn't. We didn't get a great deal of them, I must admit. And the ones that we've had have been small. But I've a good friend of mine. Um, I think he's still got the record for up there. Uh, it was a, uh, it was eight or nine pound, I think, or uh, ten pound or something. Yeah, that was huge, huge, huge. Big, big yeah. fish, big gill head. He had that a fair few years ago now. I think he still holds it. I'm not sure, but I've got a you know, couple of friends that we tend to tend to go up there as and when we can. About now, coming into May time is is the time. Yeah, heading, heading. You want to be heading down towards Kingsbridge Way a little bit more, um, but there's some cracking spots in amongst there for the gilts. And it's, uh, is it deep here? I and mean, what? Give us an idea of what the depths run up the centre of the channel. Yeah, well, um, yeah, where my boat's moored, that's sort of um, seven, eight metres, something like that. But a little bit more high water springs, and then heading down towards. You've got a, um, like the Sulcombe side of the bridge down there, really. That's when it that when it starts to dry out. So you've got to watch yourself a bit then. Um, but other than that, you know, around the salt stone and stuff like that is uh, yeah, it can be pretty good area. You can get some quite nice bass in around there at times as well. What do you tell us sizes on the bass? Are you going to some? Do you, do you live bait for those? No, you're not allowed to live bait up the Congress, really. yeah. Respected. Yeah. Um, so you're not allowed to, but. Um, we use, you can use, you know, like lures and, and stuff like that. You quite often you get the schoolies and stuff on um, just ragworm. But yeah, I mean, we've, um, I had one of my guys that came out fishing with me. The weather wasn't very nice. We couldn't get out on the big boat and they just asked if they could come out and have a little fish on, on my little boat that I use as a tender. So we went out and um, he had a nice bass on the salt stone and it snapped his line. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was a bit gutted. Yeah, it looked like quite a nice fish, to be fair. What about rays and stuff? What other species you're going to get out there? Rays, mullet, and tell us about sizes. Yeah, loads and loads of mullet, but uh, that's something that's been an absolute nightmare for me to catch. Uh, but I've got a couple of friends that can catch them for a pastime. Um, but they do tend to be harder to catch in Sulcombe than the likes of Dartmouth or something like that. I think it's because of the amount of boats going through and stuff, you know. But you can you can get them. You get some cracking thornbacks in there. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of. I think the 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 record last year over I think it was February time was broken for the thornback in there. Big big fish, twenty something. Um, two something I think was it 22 20, 20, 22 and a half some, something like that cracking fish um, but yeah we um, yeah, we also get um, it's done very very well this year again for the flounder um, through the winter months really? um, yeah that's um, that's produced some cracking fish and what sort of size quite big numbers oh it's um, yeah you've got they've been up to the sort of three and a half I've heard so yeah quite quite nice fish but quite good numbers some, some of the guys from our fishing club in Kingsbridge They've been out and had had eight, ten uh, on a session like you know, which has been quite nice. Any small lights there? Do you get anything like that, or are they mostly outside in the faster tide? Yeah, we tend to get the small lights. Do tend to be a little bit further out, you know, the back of the bar and stuff. Congers? Any congers up in the, in the estuary? If you if you anchored in a small boat? Yeah, there's a couple of areas that have got like sort of made reefs, really. I suppose where they've plonked a fair bit of rock and stuff down. Um, you do get a few strap congers and stuff in amongst there, 
there was a big conga caught up the estuary. It was, I, I believe, it was sixty-four pound. Bloody hell! But that was back in uh, late eighties, I think it was. But um, but yeah, that was um, there was a wreck that there's a boat that sank <laughs> up the estuary, and that over time produced a little bit of fish. But it's not there anymore. Well, certainly some uh, some brilliant fish in there. So. Anyway, I think we're pretty well wrapped up there, Chris. You've given us a good insight into it, and I know you're going to give me a few marks for the uh, for the magazine, so if guys want to come down with a small boat, there might be a few inshore places. They're all well known to, uh, obviously, a lot of the charter boats and, and small boat anglers as well know, obviously, it's not difficult going to get a chart and find the scaries and stuff, but, you know, maybe you tell us a couple of good rock marks and, 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 and somewhere up the creek, perhaps, or even a shark, a good shark line drift or something like that when you say drifting amongst the wrecks. So, Chris, I appreciate you giving us the time and the information. Um, we wish you well for tomorrow, and hopefully we get to fish with you in the future. So thanks very much for Chris and his boat. You can no doubt find advertised everywhere, and uh, it's going to be one reckoned with in the future, hopefully. 